Morning, everyone. Good to be here with you this morning. I hope you're well, and it's uh, my joy to speak to you this morning. You doing well? Most of you ask, good, 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 good. You know, Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. I love the different pictures and images that Jesus uses. He's just a, a master, as you'd expect from the Son of God, uh, using uh, uh, pictures and images to get his, his point across and make it rememberable. You know, it's so sad, isn't it, when we see in our news infighting within any section of society, whether it be within the government, whether it be within the royal family, whether it be, as it has been recently, within the Church of England. But, you know, it's even more painful when you experience that infighting personally within your own family. And today, as we begin this series on Jude, we're going to look at faith under fire from within, from within the household of God, because that's who Jude is addressing here. But before I move on to look at the passage in Jude, because it's a very relevant passage to us today and in our country at this moment, but it is also culturally challenging and unpopular what Jude has to say. So as Always, when I bring passages like this to us as a church, because we don't shy away from preaching the whole counsel of God to you here at this church, we bring you God's word, just to remind you that this is God's word. If you have a problem with it, it's you who has the problem, not God. Do you understand that? It's either a problem in your thinking, your misunderstanding, what the passage says, and therefore your thinking needs to change, or it's a problem with your morality. Your sense of right and wrong is out of sync with God's. And guess what? It's not God who needs to change. It's you. It's not you who will judge God. Although some people do spend their lives arrogantly trying to judge God, actually God is our judge. The Bible says he is our creator. He is the one who made us. More than that, he is our sustainer. Our next heartbeat that we don't even notice going on is in God's hands. He sustains every one of our heartbeats. And do you know, uh, uh, Anne Standen, this Friday will be 90 years old. Her heart will have been beating for 90 years. It's our oldest member there. So happy birthday on Friday, Anne. She watches us online. She's very modern uh, like that. But uh, no, she can't make it here in the morning, sadly. But she catches up later uh, watching us via DVD. So he's our sustainer. He is our saviour. He is the one who saved us. He made a way, as we've just been celebrating through communion this morning, through Jesus' perfect life, his willing sacrificial death on the cross to take on himself the punishment for the things that you and I have done that are wrong, that offend God. He takes that on himself so that all who put their trust in him, all that put their faith in him can be forgiven And know that just as God rose Jesus from the dead, he will also rise us to be with him forever and ever. Amen? Amen. 
So he is our saviour. He's also our judge. He will judge the living and the dead. The Bible is clear. Our morality needs to be set by our creator, sustainer, saviour and judge. But he's also, the Bible makes clear, he's a good father. And the reason he sets the things he sets is because it's for our good. And it's the best way to live. So we need to trust him with that because the world doesn't often present it like that. But we need to trust God and come into line with what he teaches us, not what we think. And you know, it's important to realize as well that in every generation, in every culture in the world, there are issues that that culture has with the Bible, things it finds challenging and unpopular. Some of them are institutionally unpopular because people are making money or empower over the issue that the Bible condemns. An example of that from the past that now everyone agrees with the Bible would be slavery. It was Christians at the time when it was considered in society, oh, it's fine, it's, you know, well, no, they're, 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 they're less than us, they're less than, less than human, and it makes money for the empire, it's all good. It was, it was Christians that stood up and said, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what is right. Interestingly, same argument today is used for abortion, but uh, that's not what the passage is on, uh, on today, so I'm not going to go there today. Every culture, every generation has its issues that Christians have to choose to stand on God's word rather than give in to society, despite sometimes being considered unpopular, sometimes even maybe having to go to court because of it, sometimes even being willing to die for the truth of God's word. But we have no right to give up even one inch of truth that God has revealed. We must not. And we must resist those from within that try to change God's word to suit culture around. They try to pervert the grace of God, as we'll see in a minute. Well, what about those outside of the church? How should we respond there? You know, woke philosophy, which is all very popular at the moment would say, I oh, just cut them off. You know, you don't like what I'm saying. You don't agree with me. Defriend me on Facebook. Cut, cut them off. Jesus says, win them over. Win them over with love, with kindness, with truth spoken in grace, with respecting the other person. Even though they may not respect you and be nice to you, we are called to be nice Back to them. So, with that in mind, let's read Jude chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, and then Ken will finish it next week. It says this Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were 
designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Remember those two things, sensuality and denying Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, after, uh, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he, that's Jesus, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as examples by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And it was said that even in the first century, so uh, you know, over a thousand years later after Sodom and uh, Gomorrah was destroyed, that it was still smoking there. The smoke would still rise from what was going on there. Jo Josephus and other writers let us know. Today I want to show how through the help of the Holy Spirit, God calls us to be humble servants of Jesus Christ who stand firm on in the faith by the grace of God. But as people, or people who know the story, will be thinking, what's he going to say about verse 7? I'll deal with that first, as it's an area, as I said, that's culturally unpopular at the moment, and it's an area of cultural conflict in the West, at least, not in the rest of the world, but in the West it is, before we look at the more biblically significant issues later. So Jude raises, firstly, the issue of sexual immorality. And he uses the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was partly judged by God, partly judged by God, for its sexual immorality. And in particular, homosexual sex is what he's addressing there, which Jude does have in mind because he uses the word unnatural desires. And just to make it clear that I'm not making that up, if we were to read Romans 1, Verses 26 to 27, it says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. Let me just say, that both Jude and the Apostle Paul there were writing in a time where sexual immorality was normal, like it is in our society, where homosexuality was more than acceptable. In fact, in some places, it was highly celebrated and esteemed. So it's not just something that's only a modern issue facing modern people. The Bible is abundantly clear and consistent. Sex is a beautiful thing made by God for the building up of society, but contained within marriage. One man for one woman for life. That's the ideal that the Bible consistently promotes. Sex within the context of marriage, biblical marriage, is good and edifying. Outside of that, 
It's like a fire outside of the fireplace. It will burn down and damage the lives and society around those people. The Bible is clear. You can love who you like. And in fact, as Christians, we're called to love everyone and to grow in love. It's not about love. But sex and sexual expression in thought and deed, according to our creator, sustainer, saviour and judge, must be limited to within the confines of heterosexual marriage. Anything else brings us under God's judgment. Thus, if you love Christ, and I'm talking to the people who love Christ here, and has made him the Lord of your life, then out of love for him and through the help of the Holy Spirit, you take those thoughts captive, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. And we keep the actions of our body in line with the will of God. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Finding greater identity, as Emmy and Nathan wonderfully taught us last week, in the fact that we are children of God and servants of Christ. Verse 1 in this passage. We find greater identity in that than we do in our own thoughts and our own feelings. There's nothing new under the sun, my friends. The Bible makes clear. Since Adam and Eve, people have believed the lie of the devil that we can determine good and evil for ourselves, forgetting that our creator is the one who knows us and made us and knows what's best for us, so we should trust him. Also, he's more than that. As I said, he's our sustainer. Our next breath is in his hand. So we're slapping him in the face every time we go against his will, which isn't only ungrateful, it's also unwise, isn't it? Because he is our judge, as I've already said. He, we have to give an account to him for how we've treated him, how we've treated one another, and how we've treated the world that God has put us in. And if you're here and you're battling with these things, whilst the verse, as I've said in particular, is addressing those with same-sex attraction, actually the passage is addressing the broader context of anyone struggling with sexual immorality. And it's any sex outside of that within marriage. So, and it's talking about addressing it in the area of not only deed, but thought as well. So God isn't singling anyone out. You're not in a unique position. You're not alone in this. God wants to help us all in it. Verse 6 in the context, uh, uh, in, this, uh, in this passage, actually makes clear the rest of the letter, which Ken will look at a bit later, makes clear that he is uh, addressing what happened in the time of Noah, by, and by applying it to the readers, in, uh, by applying it to the re Jude's readers, he is making it clear that actually within the church, what was happening is people were coming in saying, you can do what you, you want, you're under grace, and people were sleeping with whoever they wanted, whether male or female. So this applies to all sexual desires, and also anything else that would pervert the grace of God into a license to sin, into a, uh, you can do what 
you like, God doesn't care. He does. Paul makes it clear, actually lists a whole list of things in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, that, are, that, that we as believers must not engage in. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. People in the church in Corinth had been doing all of those things, but they were washed and you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Jude is writing these things in his letter because the church had been engaging in them because of false teaching within it. But in Christ Jesus, you've been cleaned. You can't go back to your sins. Again, you mustn't go back. You've been sanctified, that is, set apart to live for God, to please him. You've got the Holy Spirit within you to give you the power to please God in your actions and to put to death the fleshly desires that are within us all to help us win the battle there. If your life is given over to Jesus Christ, you do what he wants, not what you want. And by submitting to Jesus, will in your life, you're serving him. And in serving him, you'll actually find that your life is more satisfying, more fulfilling, more beautiful than you could ever, ever carve out for yourself. That's the joy of following Jesus, but it's a life of faith and trust in him. You see, Christ loves you enough to die for you. He has the best for you, life and life in all its fullness. And overwhelmed with the bubbles over into eternal life. He knows and has the best for you. Trust him. Trust that to do his will is for your good, and anything outside of his will is actually evil and harmful for you. Don't swallow the lie that the world around us teaches. They believe the devil's lie right from the beginning. And can I just also add in this that the Bible tells us as believers not to make jokes about sexually crude stuff either, any sexual stuff outside of marriage. It's what Ephesians 5 verse 4 refers to as coarse joking. The world loves it, but it's out of place for those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, verse 1 of this letter. You see, if we're loved by God and if we love God and say that we love God, how can we love the things that he hates? And if we're kept for Jesus Christ, how can we laugh about the things that he disproves of and upset him? We can't. Before I move on from uh, this, can I just add that Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Ezekiel 16, were not just judged for their sexual perversion, 
But on top of that, if you read Ezekiel 16, you'll see that there were an extremely wealthy place. That's why Lot chose to go there when he separated from Abraham. You, know, you can go to the right or left. You say, oh, no, look, that's much better over there. They're, they're rich. They were proud. On top of being very wealthy, they were proud. And they did not help the poor and the needy. In fact, as a community, they agreed that they would abuse them even to the point of raping helpless visitors that were passing through their land. That's why they came under God's judgment there. As an example to us all to, of what will happen to those under God's judgment. Anyway, enough on that one verse. Verses 15 to 16, which Ken will focus on more uh, uh, a bit more ne- next week, are just examples from the Bible and extra-biblical writings, other writings, that the Jude's readers would have been familiar with uh, in his day. Actually, he's using those as examples to illustrate, basically, verse 4, his point in verse 4, which is a key uh, verse in this letter. Jude is not just saying... Uh, that those other, scripture, those other writings that he refers to are scripture. He's not saying they're scripture, but just like the Apostle Paul in 1 Titus, uh, sorry, Titus 1, verse 12, quotes a Cretan prophet, he is quoting from a source that his readers were familiar with to make his point. Jude was going to write to them about their common salvation that they had as a church, but he has to change that to counteract the false teaching that was coming in. For they were causing people to wander away from the truth that's in God's word. That's been once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 3 makes clear. Given by the apostles to the church and recorded for all time in God's word, the Bible. My friends, to deviate from the Bible is to cease to be Christian. If it's not based on the Bible in terms of our beliefs and practice, then even if someone calls it Christian, it is not Christian. If it's taking away from the divinity of Christ, that is that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of the living God. It is not right. And that's actually why Jude deliberately mentions in verse 5 that it was Jesus who rescued a people from Egypt, rather than saying it was God, which you would ex- expect from an Old Testament example, because obviously Jesus, uh, in terms of his physical form, didn't come until the New Testament. But Jude is making that point to show how he views Jesus. And he is happy himself just to refer to himself as a servant of Jesus, even though he could have referred to him as, actually, he's my, he's my half-brother, because Jude was a son of Mary and Joseph. But like Jesus, who was humble enough as a living God to, to come in human form, Jude, in copying his Lord and Master, is humble enough just to refer to himself as a servant of God. And he's secure enough in his own identity to just make reference to his more well-known big brother, James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at that time. My friends, 
Let's be humble servants who find our identity and our worth in who we are in Christ. For this will free us from any issues of self-worth or identity crisis that the world around us seems to face. Do you know, as a Christian, no greater position or value can be given you than has already been freely given to you. You are children of the living God. Hallelujah. And servants of Jesus. No greater value or position could be given you than has already been given you in Christ. William Barclay says this, the greatest glory which Christ, that the Christian can conceive of is to be of use to Jesus Christ. Michael Green writes on this as well. One of the paradoxes of Christianity is that in such glad devotion to Jesus, one finds perfect freedom. There is freedom in Christ. It is the truth of God's word that sets us free. We have no right to deviate from it, from the truth that has once for all been revealed and recorded for all time in his word, the Bible. But we must proclaim it. But as I started by saying, we proclaim it in love, with kindness, with gentleness and respect for other people, trying to win them to Christ, not force them or repel them away. With love, kindness, gentleness and respect is what the Bible would teach us to do. So my friends, whatever you are facing, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are called to be humble servants of Jesus Christ, who are standing firm in the faith by the grace of of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Can I invite the band back up here? Can I encourage you to stand? I'm just going to pray for us all. If some of the things that I've raised today you're you find personally struggling, I'm not going to uh, call for a response in, the, in that area. Come and grab me afterwards. Or if you're part of the church here, please come and speak to your life group leader or, um, or one, of the, one of the people that brought you here uh, further about that. But yeah, please feel free to come and grab me about that. Um, but uh, let's just, just pray. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have the best for us. Thank you that you are not only our creator, sustainer, saviour and judge, but you're our father in Christ. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you, uh, your hand is upon us. You've not left us as orphans, Lord God. You've given us your spirit. And Lord, I pray for each person here. Lord God, there'll be things, particularly on that list in 1 Corinthians 6, Lord God, that we all struggle with, Lord God. And uh, Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would help us to live for you. You would help us to find greater identity in who we are in you than any other factor. Lord God, help us to live for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are that treasure, Lord God, that is of greater worth so that the man went and sold all that he had that he could get that treasure. You're that pearl of great price, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how beautiful you are 
Lord Jesus, and to live for you, Lord God, and help us to present how beautiful you are to the world around us, Lord God, that they would be drawn, Lord God, to you, just as we've been drawn to you, Lord. You're the one who draws us. You're the one who is worthy of it all. You're the one who has redeemed us, Lord God. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to be those humble servants, Lord, who stand firm on the truth, Lord, in your grace and point people to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you um, want prayer at all for healing or just for fresh filling with the Holy Spirit this morning, please come up to the front during this song. We'd love to pray with the people for healing. We've seen several people healed recently here as a church. So we'd love to stand with you and pray with you for that. If you're, I say, if you're here, you just want fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, fresh help in the situation you're in, then again, please come forward and we'd love to pray for you in those areas. I'm going to hand over to Chris now.